5, Paul talks to the new Christians. They were all new Christians. The church was brand new. And he was talking to them about a sexual ethic in a society, Greco-Roman society, where sex was just infusing out every pore. It was a, it was a big deal back then. And he talks to the church, and then in chapter 6, he talks to the children. And my idea, my understanding, interpretations can vary, but my idea there is that this letter was written in a public assembly, and so children were expected to learn some things about sexuality and also a parental opinion. I think there is a pretty high level of parental deception where some of us think that our kids aren't hearing these things. And so when we address them in ways like this, trying to respect you as a parent, but also getting out in front of this because I had one sex talk with one of my kids when Miley Cyrus was twerking on MTV Awards uh, years ago. It kind of forced my hand on it, okay? But it's good to be proactive in, in our parenting. <clears throat> Let me begin this morning, this message, with um, showing you the most recent Time Magazine Person of the Year cover. And of course, the first thing you'll notice that the Person of the Year is actually People of the Year. And in particular, they're not just people, they're women. You probably aren't going to recognize anyone except the woman in the foreground. That's Ashley Judd, who is a young actress. Her father from Kentucky was in the hotel lobby. Unbeknownst to him and to her at the time, she went into a hotel suite to find out about uh, career opportunities, and she entered into the hotel room of a Harvey Weinstein. And she uh, left, and her father said he could tell something went wrong in that hotel room the moment he saw her. And she made a vow. Nobody listened to her, but she made a vow that she would not be silent about what happened to her. And it took many, many years later, many more women, before um, this man was toppled. But you'll see this represents women who said enough of men in power using that same power to get what they want from women. Women who are speaking out, a part of what you know about a Me Too movement, an umbrella of solidarity where millions of people have found shelter and conversation, help and healing. It seems like it sprung up overnight, but reality is it's been simmering for years, decades, centuries. Descriptions of pain of lewd acts, of forced kisses, of opportunistic groping, of fallout, both emotional and spiritual. Women trapped, terrified, silenced, shamed. CEOs fired, moguls toppled. Dignitaries, luminaries, disgraced. Icons wearing shame. Bill O'Reilly of Fox News, Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Church, America's very own Bill Cosby, the latter accused and charged with drugging and raping women. Harvey Weinstein, as mentioned earlier, Russell Simmons, Al Franken, on and on the list goes, Matt Lauer, we could keep going, leaders of the owner of the NFL's Carolina Panthers, People high up in Amazon and companies like that. Some of the best best and brightest and richest in our country. But yet, some of them, they openly, publicly were apologists or advocates for gender equality and women's empowerment. But we learned that privately behind closed doors, there was another power struggle at play. There was secret sin. What got in the heart of these men? What's this reality that hasn't been discovered? It's just been brought into the forefront through social media and through voices getting angrier and louder. But what is the reality 
that's happening in the hearts of so many people, to separate public and private lives, to live with such serious things behind closed doors. This morning, we're going to look at this subject head on. And in just a moment, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and to consider some important things. But we know, as a baseline, we know that we sell sex, we glorify sex, we exploit sex, and we use sex. We blow sex out of proportion and we blow the sex parts of women's bodies out of proportion to the point where we're diminishing what being a woman is really truly about, humanity and dignity and intelligence and having a soul. And into this, I want to assert to you this morning, this reality, sex is one of the most amazing things about being human. Someone at the 930 said amen to that, and he was shunned by the church, excommunicated. (laughs) Really creepy guy, I know him. Second thought, sex is not just one of the most amazing things about being human. Notice the contrast. It's the thing that so often leads to what? Dehumanizing. And that's the world in which we live. I sent out an email to our elders, our staff, our deacons yesterday. They never get an email from me on Saturday. I was asking them to pray for me as I put my heart and soul into this sermon. And then I said, forget about it. And I went to a football game. But anyway, the thought on this was this very idea that this is a rich time teeming with opportunity and possibility to be the church today. If we grasp and grapple with some of these truths I'm going to put in front of us today. So let's honor the Word of God by reading Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is counter-cultural. This is strange. And if you follow your appetite... And sex is your God. This is problematic for you. Paul said this to the early church. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So this morning, I'm going to say three things about this important topic of human sexuality. The first is this, is that there's a call. This is a a pre-point before the three. The call here is to be odd. Odd, as I'm describing it, is obvious, distinguishable difference. Your life should have an obvious, distinguishable difference. And it is in this area that we ought to stand out. Now, before I tell you the following, I want to tell you that I am a broken man sexually. I am tempted. Every day is a new day. And every time I get discouraged, thank God that I currently have a spouse who's supportive in this area sexually and emotionally and a couple of good brothers in Christ. And every time I get discouraged and dark, even recently in my life, I go to them and they're aware of this so I don't turn down a dark corner or alley. Okay? And now that you've heard me say that, I want you to hear me say this. When I was 17 years old, I was not in a church service. I was not at a conference. There was no emotional music playing in the background. There was no student pastor next to me. 
But before the Lord, I made a vow as a 17-year-old young man that I wanted to be sexually pure. That I wanted to save myself for marriage and I wanted to be with one woman all of my life. And I, I wanted to walk that way to honor God. Before I had committed to ministry. Before I thought about being a pastor for a lifetime. Can I just say that's odd I want to say to some of you, it's possible. And the younger you are in the room, look at me. It's possible. And those of you who are parenting some younger people, it's possible. But it's odd and it's strange. Do you think I was ever ridiculed or mocked by some of the guys growing up? Do you think in college when that subject came up, do you think people had some different opinions and advice about how I ought to live? And I'm telling you, I know, I remember one guy in high school. His goal was sexual conquest. His goal was to bet as many girls, and he even got to a place, I'll just say it, he was a kinky guy, and he got to a place where his goal was to have a girlfriend who didn't have a dad around, and his goal was to bed the girl and, his, and her mother. And he lived for that. He told us stories about that. I, I, I never really believed any of them, but he would brag about that. He was so popular and seemingly powerful in high school, but I'm telling you, his life today is a pathetic spectacle. And it is strange to say, God, I want to trust you in this area. And for most of us, there's a whole segment in society, they're called men, and it just seems impossible that we can trust Jesus in this area, that He can be our greatest trust and He can be our greatest treasure and we can submit this area to Him. And so it is odd and it is strange. What does He say in Ephesians chapter 5 to get rid of all sexual immorality? He talks about not even a hint of it being in your life. That's different than how close can I get, how close can I get, how close can I get. He's saying you're way back from it. You're living for Him. Your life is about Him, and there's a line there. You're not even getting close to it. You're trusting Him to be where you need to be. The word there, the Greek word is, I'll put it up on the screen, it's porneia. And everybody, most everybody in the room knows what English word we get from this Greek word, our word pornography. But Paul, for him, it is in the New Testament, it is a junk drawer word for all sexual immorality. And so this morning, I want to, in love, be really clear. I really feel like this morning that I need to be clear. I've even got some notes to make sure I'm super precise today. And I went long in the 930. I'm not going to do that to you in the 11. But Paul is saying this, that sexual immorality, it is any sex outside the covenant relationship of marriage. So it means this, until you have the ability and the opportunity to make a covenant marriage relationship with someone endorsed by God for your life, any sex outside of that relationship is sin. That's true if you're a 17-year-old raging with hormones and you have a girlfriend. That's true, our college students are MIA today on fall break, but that's true if you're a college student living in the same dorm room or apartment area with the opposite sex. That is true. If you're a 36-year-old female, this is true for you. If you're a 36-year-old single male, it's true for you. If you have a struggle and a reality of same-sex attraction, it's true for you. For everyone in love, I say to you what God says and God means. That until you have the ability or opportunity 
to enter into a marriage, covenantal, lifelong commitment with the person that he endorses for you, any sex outside of that is sin. So, I want to talk to you about the two extreme views that we have, and it inflicts us in the church today. The two extreme views on sexuality, one is the pagans and one are the prudes. Are you a prude? Some of you are. Pagans is when sex is worshipped like a god. And over here, the prudes are when sex is shunned as gross. Can I tell you, and I'm really throwing this out to the married couples, both are sins. Both are sins. Neither are true. We're not to have a pagan view of sex, which is worshipped like a god, or a prudish view of sex, where it's shunned as gross. We're actually to see it in its place, for its time, for its purpose, as a gift from God to be received and to be enjoyed. A lot of you are dialed in. You know there's a whole book in the wisdom literature of the best-selling book of all time called The Song of Solomons. And do you know what it's about? Some, some of fundamentalist preachers have tried to make it all about something that it's not about. And it is about the love between a man and a woman. And it follows them from dating and courtship uh, to the wedding ceremony and even invites the reader into the honeymoon suite on the wedding night. And let me tell you, it is quite graphic, but it is not inappropriate. The marriage relationship, the sexual union is to be enjoyed in marriage. I know a couple, they're, they're in their 80s now, but it, when they were in their 70s, I was really super close to them. And they had an adult daughter that they just adored and adored their son-in-law. And they invited them over, as was their custom, invited them over to the house to have fellowship with them, to have dinner and hang out on a particular evening night, and uh, evening weekend night. And when they invited them, they, they turned them down. And this lady turned her mom and dad down for dinner, and she was evasive about it. And this mom, very persistent, amazing woman, uh, she called and she said, sweetie, what's, what's up? Why aren't you coming over? And she said, well, mom, just to be honest... Uh, you know, we haven't been sexually intimate in a couple of weeks, and my husband's pouting. He didn't want to come over tonight. That, that's the truth. And my friend, this old lady, married 47 years at the time, one of the happiest marriages I've ever known about, she said to her, well, sweetheart, you ought to be ashamed of yourself to deprive that man of something that just takes a short amount of time but makes him so happy. How dare you? And listen to me. Move away from the prudish perspective. Like, we need to know this is true. And look, it is a gift, a gift to be savored and enjoyed, to be explored, and it's important. For everyone that's married, I want to say to you, and women, let me talk to you for a second, don't withhold this area of your life. A pastor friend of mine, Bob Russell, says if you do, it's like sending your man out hungry into a food court with all the aromas and the delicacies. And don't do that. Don't withhold your... Don't withhold that from the other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is really clear to these early Jesus followers. He says that, husbands, your, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your wife. Wife, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your husband. And there is this reciprocity. There's this intentional giving of yourself to the other. And it, not, it should not be withheld. Let it be a place of worship. Let it be a place of celebration. That is a good gift of God and one of the best gifts we can give our families. And so we move away from the pagan view and the prudish view into the idea of celebrating. Celebrating, but let's stop before we go to point number two. The first point was what? The strangeness of the Christian sexual 
ethic. Y'all with me? It's just different, isn't it? It's very different. Nobody nodded your head, disappointed me. Second point, beyond the strangeness, is the superiority of the Christian sexual ethic. Just because it's strange doesn't mean it's inferior. In fact, I would argue the opposite. There's the superiority of the Christian sexual ethic. In this idea, we see that Paul says, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, to be imitators of God. And how do we imitate God? What's the number one thing you can do to be an imitator of God? To walk in love. To walk in love by contrast, and he gives us this contrast on sexuality here in Ephesians 5, is to walk in love, not lust. And love can't wait to give. Lust can't wait to give. And into this we see what I am convinced after 51 years of living, and in two weeks I turned 52, and it Almost 52 years of living, I'm telling you, I believe it to be true more and more. And here's the thing. This is not just the stuff of religious zealots. This is a lot of good science behind this today. But we live in a world where many people, in a world where many are trying to enjoy sexual pleasure without embracing sexual purpose. So is there a purpose? Is there something besides nerve endings and animal-like impulses and biology, is there something there besides this? In Scripture, in the, in the Hebrew part of the Bible, it uses this word that's been translated and made famous by a pastor named Matt Chandler and his wife Lauren in their book, The Mingling of Souls. And that is the biblical purpose of sexuality. A mingling of souls where two in a covenantal relationship are coming together with the purpose of being one. We want to stay together. We want to know each other over a lifetime and celebrate that together. When we try to enjoy sex's pleasure without embracing sex's purpose, we open up our own lives and the world itself is opened up to all kinds of evils and insecurities. And by the way, I was talking to a young woman on a college campus recently. She works at a medical center on the university campus, and she said the number, the, the top two most prescribed pills on the college campus today are antidepressants and birth control pills. And then some of you aren't dialed in like you need to be, but when a woman gives her body to you without a commitment to you, she's losing a really important part of herself. And so are you. This idea... It's a big one, and it's an important one. Tune in and be open to what God would say to you. All kind of evils, all kind of insecurities, when we seek to enjoy sex's pleasure without sex's purpose. I was reading this week about Argentina. I'm going to stereotype here a little bit. Please forgive me. I mean this in a, in a positive way, not a negative one. But Argentina, like other Latin American countries, there are beautiful people and they don't wear much. And it's a nation that's just teeming with sexuality. And if you dive deeper into Argentina, you'll learn about a new crime wave. Um, this crime wave is called femicide. You've heard about homicide and suicide. And this is when men target. This is even happening with husbands and boyfriends killing wives and girlfriends. There are shelters and centers there for battered women, young women, young girls. They're overflowing. In America, 
Just a few years ago, a 22-year-old man in Santa Barbara grew sick and tired of being rejected, his sexual advances being rejected by women. He posted on YouTube, unfortunately it wasn't seen in time, but he posted on YouTube his plans for his rampage, and he showed up on site and, and just began to spray with his automatic weapons. Fourteen people were killed or injured in this shooting spree. In Pittsburgh, a man with the same, inflicted with the same idea, feeling rejected and sexually repressed, turned toward anger, rage, and violence, and he showed up at a woman's aerobics class, killed or injured six from his shooting. Extreme examples, no doubt about it. Sick and demented, absolutely. Isolated, no. But here's one for you. When we seek to embrace or to enjoy sex's pleasure without embracing its purpose, all kind of evils and insecurities follow. Statistics speak to this today, that one out of five women have been a victim of some type of sexual assault. Were you here this past weekend or did you get to listen online? I talked about male-female relationships and gender. and What we believe, what I believe the Scripture teaches. And so far, I'm not giving you a green light, but so far I didn't get any hate mail. Nobody pushed back. In fact, I got a lot of encouragement. Some of you were just checking on me to make sure I was still standing. But I did hear from several women who've been victimized with sexual assault. I just want to say to some of you who are politically engaged and have strong opinions about a Supreme Court justice nominee, now Supreme Court judge, have your opinions. Be political savvy, be in the know, but be careful how you throw around opinions because there are women around us and some could be in your, under your roof around your own dinner table. And they're interpreting things very differently because they've been trapped and terrified, silenced and shamed by being victimized by this reality. The Christian sexual ethic, I say is superior because it attaches the mingling of souls together. There's a popular thing, and it's, it's been the brunt of jokes on Saturday Night Live. It's talked about, bandied about on our college campuses today, that sexuality is okay in every realm as long as nobody gets hurt and there's mutual consent. And I want to say to you, if you're a leader in this church, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus gives us a higher standard, and empowers us to live in a better way. To move away from the, as long as nobody's getting hurt, and as long as there's mutual consent. There's a much better way that He calls us to. So how do we know? I think we're short-sighted to think that we do know. I think we're not readily admitting that people are getting hurt. Pornea, specifically pornography. It's devastating to an individual. It's devastating to a marriage. It's not about sustained, covenantal, devoted, face-to-face, sacrificial, reciprocal love. It's not about that at all. Addiction specialists tell us that it's about variety. Now, I want to thank God. I said this at the 930. I want to thank God that we have people in our church that are in Recovery programs, drug recovery programs specifically. And God's afforded me the opportunity to get to know them and be blessed by them, to hear their stories. And what I know about drug addiction, some of you know painfully, 
that an addict, a drug addict, has to go back to that one drug. And goes back to that one drug over and over again and just needs more of it. But a porn addict, let me tell you what the experts say, a porn addict needs variety. And that man, usually a man, runs to variety, different images. And here's what I want to say to you. As painful as this is to hear, and as some of you know about from personal experience, there is a law of diminishing returns, and it is a downward spiral, and it is degrading. And it is separating. And look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I know some young men, I believe they're being called to ministry. And this is the thing that's probably going to stop them. And I know some men in ministry. They want this to be a secret in their life. And I'm telling you what I tell me myself, Luke 8, 17. Jesus said, you can reject this if you want to, but he'll be proven right. Jesus said there are no secrets. For what, Luke 8, 17, for what you hide will be disclosed. What you put in the darkness, it will be brought into the light. And for some of you, this addiction, this pain, this problem, this sin... It's already affecting you. There are young men, I've preached this before, there are young men, social scientists, researchers tell us this, the experts, young men who are entering marriage today with sexual dysfunction, unable to please their spouse sexually, unable to experience arousal without going down dark paths. You turn on a radio and listen to a certain type of music and they're singing about bitches and hoes and hitting it from the back. And I'm telling you, it's degrading. It is degrading because it's faceless. It's not covenantal. It's not sacrificial. It's not reciprocal. It's not devoted. Some of you think that it's not degrading for women to work at a strip club. And I would say to you, having a friend in Atlanta who works in a ministry with strip clubs. Many of them are an outpost for underground sex trafficking. Many of these women are literally slaves to a man's lust for profit. So when we seek to enjoy sex's pleasures without embracing sex's purpose, we miss a lot. We miss an awful lot. Look at this quote from a feminist, a female writer from Dartmouth University. Viewed from another angle, that same-sex revolution, let me, that doesn't mean same-sex, I mean, she means same-sex revolution. Okay, are you with me? Viewed from another angle, this sex revolution looks more like a permission slip for the strong and privileged to prey upon the weak and easily exploited. It's a revolution that's been better for fraternity brothers than their female guests, better for the rich than the poor, better for the beautiful than the plain, better for liberated adults than fatherless children, and so on down a long and depressing list. There are victims. When sex is separated from the soul, there are victims littered all around us. And by the way, do you know the call of the Jesus followers to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly? Let us embrace this. We're thankful for people like Drew Mellon, who we have a Dine Against Darkness event coming up soon. Purchase your tickets. Be a part. Give financially to this church as some of our proceeds go to fight sex trafficking. And let's be on that side of the equation. And let's seek to give this area of our lives to God. There's the superiority of the Christian sex ethic. Writer named Anne Voskamp, open letter to her daughter. She says to her daughter in a very public, best-selling book, 
Your naked body deserves the honor of being shared only with someone covenanted to never stop loving your naked soul. Young ladies, love can't wait to give. Lust can't wait to give. And when a man looks at you and he wants sex without marriage, he is saying, I want to be physically vulnerable with you. But I don't want to be emotionally or spiritually or economically or any other way. I just want this part of you. And you're giving up something that you don't need to. And what I love about what this writer says to her daughter, and I say it to our daughters, is your body deserves better honor than that. Jesus died for it. Romans 12, look at, listen to this. If you've never heard it, if you've heard it, hear it again new. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't lay down with somebody and expose a part of you and give up a part of you that you can't get back that will divide you and cause a lack of integrity in your life. There's the strangeness of the sex, sexual Christian ethic. Are you willing? If you lead here, I hope you're willing to have an odd differential distinction, difference about your life. There's the superiority of the Christian sex ethic. Some of these questions you've thrown at me during this hard question series have been difficult. But honestly, though not popular, this one is kind of easy because science over and over and over again backs it up. The feminist movement, the hashtag Me Too, and now the church too, all of it lends credence to this idea that you are not just biological urges and impulses. And it's true what Jesus says. He knows, he knows the better way. The last thing I want to say to you this morning is the seriousness of the Christian sexual ethic. Do you remember what we learned in Ephesians 5, what he says about the sexual sexual immorality, that you don't inherit the kingdom. Now, wait a second, preacher. I I thought this church wasn't rule-based. I thought you preached grace. I thought that meant I could do whatever I wanted to because it's all about grace. So here's how I want to illustrate it, thoughtfully, carefully. Driving back from a football game, I wrote this down, riding and driving at night. (laughs) Anybody involved in a homeowner's association? Look, I've lived in several different states, far and wide, and some of the most passionate, divisive, insane meetings I've ever been to have been homeowners associations, like big debates and discussions about ornamental shrubbery and do we put a gate in and this sort of thing. I mean, it has been, woo, intense. I should have bought a ticket for entertainment value. But look, what neighborhood do you live in? Y'all live in a neighborhood? I'm going to count to three and you say your neighborhood. One, two, three. Okay, I didn't make that out. But anyway, let's, I think I heard Crossgates. But look, I can't come to Crossgates Homeowners Association out in the reservoir. Why can't I come out there? Because I live right over there. I can't, if you live in Eastover, I, I want to live in Eastover. I've been praying about living in Eastover, but God has not provided that for me just yet. I am writing a book or two, hoping for a plane and some other things. But look, I can't go to Eastover unless I'm visiting some of you, but I can't go to a Homeowners Association, meet, a homeowners association meeting because I'm not in. Right? I'm not a part of that. And here's what I want to say to you today. You're going to want to try to resist this, but I'm telling you I'm right. Every organization, every entity, 
every body, every community has some level of, of being exclusive. Some level. If you were to join a march on the Capitol steps of the Mississippi Capitol just a few, few blocks from here and they were protesting something. But if you didn't believe in what they were protesting, they might give you a sign and let you help them protest, but you couldn't join that organization unless you believe what they believed about marriage equality or a proposition, whatever, or educate, whatever the issue was. You would have to believe, you would have to, you would have, to have a certain um, commitment to beliefs and practices in order to join that organization. Second way to illustrate this, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. It's not sex, but it's money. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And this rich young guy, I'm going to go fast and paraphrase. He's like, man, I've done it. I'm good. I'm in. I've kept the commandments. And Jesus says, and Scripture tells us, because he loved him, he said to him, hard words. And by the way, if you love somebody, there's got to be times that you give hard words and receive hard words. And Jesus said to this rich young ruler whose money was his God, he says, there's one more thing. Sell all that you have. He, Bible doesn't tell that to anybody else. Doesn't tell it to me and you today. I do think you ought to give, learn to be generous, but you don't have to sell all that you have. But Jesus tells this rich young ruler to sell all that he has. And it says that he went away sad because he wasn't willing to trust Jesus as his greatest trust and as his greatest treasure. And that is what Paul is saying here. This area of your life you and I, we need to surrender it to Him. And can I say that Jesus is not a taker? He's a giver. And He does ask for self-control. He does ask for a different way. But over time, and I'm a testimony to this, you will find that it's a better way. Pastor Andy Stanley one time was talking to a woman uh, in her late 30s single after a sermon that he gave, and this woman couldn't believe that he would stand up there and tell people to wait till they were married if they ever got married for sex. And Andy Stanley asked this woman, he said, let me ask you, has sex out of sight of marriage made your life better or made it more complicated? And there is this beauty and truth and goodness of what Jesus said. And are you willing to trust Him? So I want to say to you, and you know churches can attract se sexual predators. They can aspire to leadership. They're wolves in, in sheep's clothing. And so we got to lead here. we got to lead here well. And I'm, let me just say this, integrity matters here. But if you are going through the motions and being religious externally, and you're not giving this area of your life over to Jesus. I just want to say in love, you may not be in. You may not be in. But men and women, if we surrender this area of life to Jesus, we'll learn more and more about the joy of His Lordship. So don't hold it back. It's not my job to doubt anybody's salvation or say who's in and out. I just want to tell you what the Word says. And that this area isn't submitted. You're likely not in the kingdom. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you and I don't struggle. It doesn't mean that we are not sexually broken people in need of a Savior. And so as we close, I want to put two thoughts as Shannon and the team begin to make their way up front. I want to put two sort of closing thoughts up in front of you today. I want to give you a charge. 
especially if you're a leader here, but for everybody that wants to follow Jesus. Let's take something that can be dirty, defiled, enslaving, and shameful, and let's offer it up as a gift to Him. Are you willing to do that today? And secondly, in closing, I want to say, this is the message of the gospel and one that we preach every Sunday. You can begin again. You can be made new. Men, there are no secrets. There's a downward spiral and a law of diminishing return and it robs you of joy and it cheats your spouse or your future spouse. And I'm asking you today, maybe for the second time, just a little more candidly, why are you trying to keep it in the dark? Can I say to you, get help. I told you 20, 25 minutes ago, when I get discouraged, I have to talk to my wife because she is a partner with me. And this area is an important part of my life and vitality and health. But I've got a couple of Christian brothers I talk to. And I would not make it. I would not be able to walk away from sexual temptation and immorality and towards sexual purity and integrity without them in my life. And I'm asking and charging some of you to stop with your secrets and get help and open up your life. Email me today, tomorrow, this week. But I'm praying through adjusting my schedule with some men who are open to walking through something called seven lies men believe. And if this would maybe scratch you where you're itch, I would be willing to walk this journey with you. And do not be ashamed if you're a leader at this church or person of reputation. We've had the joy these last few years of being pastor here and walking with some of you who just a few years ago we're deeply broken in this area. Your life a fertile ground for adultery and divorce and deeper addiction. And we have seen God do a work. So would you stand? The time is now. I'm going to pray over us. And Shannon's going to lead us in one song. And we are not going to today open up the altar because I preached on sex and there's not a chance in hell you're going to walk down front. <laughs>